Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media, where we take two pieces of media and we talk about it. I am Takeshi, and with me I have Santos. And today we're going to talk about two of my favorite artists, in a way, kind of. We're going to talk about Paranoia Agent for the anime. And the director and the writer is Satoshi Khan, and he has made some of my favorite anime movies ever. This is actually his only series that he's ever done, and sadly, he's passed away, so he'll never be able to make another series like this again. It came out in 2004. He didn't animate it, but he made all the character designs. It was released February of 2004, and it ended in May 18th, 2004, and it's only 13 episodes. It's about a serial assaulter, I guess, is the only way to explain it, and it is a mystery or a a detective story, kind of. (laughs) It's the only way to explain it, because... I don't know if anybody's ever watched any Satoshi Khan's other animes like Millennium Mattress or Perfect Blue or Tokyo Godfathers or Paprika is the other one. It'll go there and it'll just go way left field and you want to know what happened. And this one definitely does that because at first it talks about this one creator of this weird little character. She created this dog named Moromi and she's being pressured into creating a new character And then all of a sudden she gets attacked by this guy that the news ended up calling the little slugger. And then all of a sudden, everybody else was getting attacked by the same guy. And it's always when they were at their worst, this guy would come by and hit him with a golden bat. It was really strange. And then it has the two detectives who are trying to solve this case. And you don't know really if they're going to ever solve it first off and then you also don't know who the actual salter is until almost the very last episode unfortunately i yeah there's it's interesting <laughs> yeah it's very weird the characters are all seemingly separate but then connected some are very connected like either you know like they know each other but then other ones they don't but somehow they're connected either through a web network or or like you said this idea of feeling cornered so like there's like maybe an emotional connection yeah and the whole entire thing is just so strange. And the way Satoshi Khan came out with this series was it was all ideas 
that he never put in the perfect blue millennium actress in Tokyo Godfathers. So he had all these extra ideas and he just put it into this series. So it's like a soup or something. It's like those yes. recipes where they're like, just throw in whatever's in the fridge <laughs> that you didn't use. It's like a leftover. That's crazy. That makes more sense. Completely surprised it was even on television, first off. Yeah, there's some dark themes. Very, very dark, 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 dark themes. It's not a cute slice of life. No, no. None of his, well, no, none of his series are kind of cutesy kind of slice of life. It's all kind of questioning reality in some way or another. And that's what's really good about it. And that's what I like about his character designs. They look real. They're all kind of ugly and they all have imperfections. And the storylines are all like just twisted. I mean, kind of evil and conniving. And so when they're at their peak of being hated or hating their life their most, this guy comes by on rollerblades and just knocks the shit out of them with the golden bats. <laughs> and it's like a younger, they think that it's a younger person too. That's what was strange. Yeah, it's so strange. Did you like any character i'm okay i'm gonna have to say i didn't finish it you didn't finish it because you couldn't handle it i couldn't was it just too intense yeah it just kept getting darker and i was like "Ooh, i don't know like i like worried to first of all you usually vet these things and let me know how things are gonna go so to go in in this suspenseful way the art is amazing the construction of the whole thing is great so there's nothing about it that's bad in that way it's just the storyline was just getting so insane i was like i don't know i was like i don't don't like to watch anymore you made it to episode eight right yes let me look up the episodes really quick it was called family planning i think happy family planning it was about three internet strangers oh that one yeah and then i was like oh yeah, that one's pretty weird, and that was the only one that was like that. And then it goes way left field for the rest of the series, and it kind of concludes at the end. Does it go back to the—because I feel like that episode introduced all brand new people with no connection to— The little slugger except for the end. Yeah, and then it's like, oh, so I was like, is this going to just have weird vignettes? So I was a little bit— Yeah, pretty much the rest of it does have these weird— vignettes like you said and then it kind of connects in a way and it does this weird stuff because you can't tell what's reality what's not and it goes back to the detectives because they did get fired after that whole entire little slugger incident and they had to go do regular jobs well one of them did and the other one got so obsessed with the little slugger that he went kind of crazy Mm, I can see that. Yeah. There was, in the beginning, the earlier episodes, there was an interesting episode. It made me laugh because it made me think of the Chinibio or whatever, where it's like a young person who's stuck in a fantasy land. So I was like, oh, here we go. Like, now we don't know what's real and what's um, fantasy. Exactly. That was was a really, that was a well done episode. Yeah. Okay. So I could kind of tell that the, he did take some ideas from Paprika because at the last episode or last couple of episodes are kind of like Paprika in a way. But Paprika was like an hour and a half versus this 13 episode 
thing. So I get it. <laughs> but it was totally amazing, and it messed with me at the end. I had to go watch a crappy volleyball anime afterwards. <laughs> Cleanse your palate. <laughs> yeah. Straighten your mind out. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen a movie or something where you just feel kind of dirty at the end and you just feel like, okay, maybe I need to kind of do something else right now. So. Yes. Yes. I guess that's where I was like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, like, yeah. this is getting dark and I'm not in the mindset for this. Yeah. So maybe I'll come back to it at another time yeah, just okay. to know what happens. But I need like a fruits basket break or something. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I feel you completely. It's This one is not for everybody, but if you're into those kind of psychological, kind of weird, trippy movies or anything along that line, then Satoshi Khan's right down your alley. And this one, you'll love. You'll take it in. To me, it is like a David Lynch series or something along that line where you're always going into the dark underbelly of what humanity is and Satoshi Khan definitely does go in there and this goes this is ugly Japan there is this stuff going on and I guess he's making everybody aware of that because everything's not just like happy go lucky kind of stuff all the time and that's why I like it (laughs) and it's really well made like the characters are interesting the themes are really interesting, and it's yeah, it's just well made. It's I like the art. I'll tell you what f-ed with me was the f-ed intro song. Like, each episode, when it played, it messed with me more. (laughs) It's so weird. It's so weird. And then even the exit, I don't even call it the ending credit song. Yeah, that's... Like, with their all... You're like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. No, no, I, I, I understand. I don't think I've said this before, but I've seen all of his work, and I love it all. Tokyo Godfathers is probably one of the best holiday movies I've ever seen. Ever. We might have to watch it. It's not as trippy as Paprika or this one at all. I actually saw all his movies in the theater when it first came out. Perfect oh, Blue that's cool. is so out there, but it's so ahead of its time because it's questioning who you are and your avatar. But it was before Facebook. It was following a pop star and she wanted to move on to be an actress, but everybody saw her as this pop star, all happy-go-lucky once again. And no one saw her as this drama actress. And so she was questioning her own reality of who she really was. Yeah, that sounds really good. It's really deep, yes. Would yeah. you recommend some of his other work first before you get the leftover soup of insane <laughs> like storylines of his? <laughs> Yes, yes. I would probably would recommend um, Tokyo Godfathers first. It's so damn good. I don't understand how that didn't get any awards or anything for a plot. I mean, once again, it just goes right into ugly Japan. 
and it follows this one family and how they're going to get back together and because they all have all their differences and everything and they had to go find someone who was living with the homeless for one reason or another and it was really good it's it's yeah i i can't remember it too well because it's been about uh, 10 years since i've seen it but i do highly recommend that one we'll watch it and you'll yeah and perfect blue is amazing but that one's really out there too but it's i guess um what's that one series on netflix that was really popular last year Oh, shoot. They're inspired by Perfect Blue. Stranger Things. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. I will have to yeah. look at that one. But it's a movie. It's, it's a not movie. A it's not a series. So it's an hour and a half to two hours instead of, mm-hmm. what, about six hours of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I just yes. wanted to see it really bad. I figured I'd take you along with the journey. Yes, <laughs> I'm so- no, I'm it's sorry. good, and I'm, I do think it's excellent work. So yeah. I'm not like against it by any means, but I feel like maybe if I had more time to watch it, separated in between with lighter stuff, <laughs> I would do. Right. But you warned me. You did warn me. You didn't let me walk in blind. You're like, this is like the David Lynch of anime. So yeah, this guy you know. is. The, yeah, and it's really sad that he's not around anymore to make anime because now there's all these regulations. After watching that one anime, I can't remember the name of it, but they're talking about how you can't have a girl holding her boyfriend while riding a bike because that's against the law. Oh, don't you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure the TV regulations are just as intense. So there's not this crazy guy making these weird animes anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. That's, that's really, yeah, interesting about the censorship part of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, it is a detective series, pretty much. And the first five or six episodes is just the detectives trying to figure out who the salter is but each episode is a new person who's getting assaulted by this little slugger i forgot to put that in there so i have to probably edit it in or whatever (laughs) (laughs) no that's a good that is a good description yeah yeah that is really important to put in there (laughs) but yeah i mean to me this guy was a true artist and i will always miss his work and i was actually really sad when he passed away because i didn't know he died it just kind of just went by (laughs) oh and you're all of a sudden you're like wait a minute did any of his work start as written work first like mangas or they're all it's all animated yeah i think perfect blue was a book but he didn't write it he kind of just translated it over to an animation yeah, I mean, like I said, if you're into David Lynch, this is for you. <laughs> yeah. If you need to darken up your viewing, <laughs> watch this. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. I always like to watch really weird too, just to kind of question art in general. Because sometimes when it is cookie cutter, then it gets boring. <laughs> you need Definitely. someone to shake it up. So. Yeah, it's definitely a good series. Yeah. Anyway, I recommend it if you're into it. (laughs) 
Storygram Network. Hello, welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm your host, Takeshi, and with me I have Santos, and we take two pieces of media, and we take a deep dive on them. Kind of. We just talk about it. Kind of. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. Hey, podcast fans, I'm Jeff Davis. Through the safety of your earbuds, Bluetooth speaker, or car stereo, join me as I venture out on the wine road. Aiden offers up practical and helpful tips to help you live a more joyful life. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed on a whim on a lonely Wednesday. Storygram Network. And we are back, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite albums, which I only discovered maybe five or six years ago. And it's not because I didn't try. It's because when I first heard about this band, I tried to find them at Tower Records, and all they had was a compilation on the Monsters of Rock with the song All the Young Dudes. And how I discovered this band was I used to listen to Howard Stern back in the day, and he said his favorite song in the world is All the Young Dudes. And he would play it and go, this is for you. And it gives you hope and all this other stuff. And he actually had them on the show to play All the Young Dudes and a couple new songs. And if you don't know the history of this album, Elaine, which I'm not sure if you do or do not. Okay, nope. You're, you're saying no. <laughs> you have to say the band name. Um, Mat the Hoople. I'm so sorry. Which is a weird name. Yes. So all the young dudes, it's actually written by David Bowie. And so the band, they were breaking up. It was going to be done. And David Bowie said, oh, please don't break up. You're my favorite band ever. I'll give you Suffolk City. They didn't really want that song. And this is before David Bowie was really popular. Uh-oh. Or well known. Like, that's a very good song. They yeah, it's a out. very good song. <laughs> and I guess they said no. I'm assuming because the singer thought he couldn't sing that one. And then he played them all the young dudes. And he saw himself singing that song. It'd be more like Mott the Hoople. So he sang the song and it became a hit. They're still playing. They're still together today. I really? Think. Yeah. So they're still around. So David Bowie did produce this whole entire album. So if you think it sounds like a David Bowie album, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely sounds like <laughs> Stardust so he era. he produced it. He produced it too. When did Ziggy Stardust come out? Because I was like, oh, All the Young Dudes sounds like a continuation of Stardust or in the family. Okay, so Stardust was released in 1972. And then All the Young Dudes came out in 1972 also. So this is right before Bowie is going to make it big. And one of these days, we are definitely going to have to cover Ziggy Stardust. I could talk about that album forever. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and this was a definite 
I have a lot of these weird FOMOs, fear of missing out kind of notions whenever I hear something that I should have listened to when I was a kid or a teenager or even in my 20s. And this was definitely one of those albums where I listened to it. I was like, what the hell? How come I never listened to this? It's not like I didn't try. Yeah. I'll admit the cover is not really that cool looking. Maybe that's another detouring thing for me, too, when I saw What's the cover. What's the cover? Those guys in a yeah, yellow? three cowboys, and it just says, all the young dudes. Do we have the same one? It's like guys in suits. Yeah. They, oh, they well, one of them like has cowboys, a cowboy hat. Um, I'm just looking at it kind of. Okay, three guys, one with a weird cowboy hat, and then the other two are in suits. I mean, they're all in suits, but. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the cover just... Did the name turn you off? Because Mott the Hoople is like... No, I I knew who the band was and everything. And like I said before, I really wanted the album, but it was impossible to find in the 90s. There was no Mott the Hoople anywhere. When I was living in Sacramento at the time trying to get this album, and they didn't have it. So Sacramento is not as small as, say, Sonoma, so we used to have a record store here at one point too. So yeah, uh, <laughs> it wasn't like nowadays where you have Spotify. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as I got Spotify, just something in me said, okay, I need to look up this, all the young dudes, Mott the Hoople thing. And I listened to it and I was mad at myself because I never pushed further and tried to get this album. And I was like, no. Oh my God, this makes so much sense. This comes together for me. And oh. yeah, <laughs> I'm still irritated. It is of that time. It, I don't know. The sound is very familiar. Yeah, it will sound like Stardust or some of the stuff that Bowie produced. He also produced uh, what Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, and he produced a couple other things. But this definitely reminds me of Ziggy Stardust and Hunky Dory. Mm-hmm. Did they cross pollinate onto his album at all? Like any of the musicians or? No. Stardust era, he had his own band, I think, anyway. But David Bowie did do the backup vocals of all the young dudes, too. Yeah, it's like a Bowie song. Like it is a Bowie it, like, song. Oh. I mean, even when you listen to it, it sounds like David Bowie singing it. <laughs> and when you said, like, was it Stern? That was like, oh, it's a really like optimistic kind of song. It feels very Beatles to me too. Like oh yeah, that optimistic Beatles vibe. So definitely, and it's obvious that David Bowie was very inspired by the Beatles too. So I'm not knocking him for that. And it opens up with the song "Sweet Jane," which is actually a Lou Reed song. Yeah, and I'm gonna say it should stay a Lou Reed. Song. You don't like this version of it? <laughs> nope. Really? Interesting. Because no, you know what? Mott the Hoople is like the jam band version of this song. Oh, like. okay. <laughs> That's how it sounds. Let's play the original version.
that's weird. I haven't heard that version yet. So I heard a lot of Lou Reed when I rode with my friend to Washington to go to his sister's wedding. So he played a lot of Lou Reed, but I didn't really do a deep dive into any Lou Reed stuff. So, yeah, there is a stark difference between the two. (laughs) I like it, but I get it. Aside from all the young dudes, there's quite a few other cool songs on here. I like Mama's Little Jewel. Okay, you do bring up a very valid point, too. This is a little bit more jam bandy than David Bowie to me, but I still love this album. <laughs> well, they're having such a good time playing, so it's hard to not like it. So yeah. I'm not against it. I'm just saying it's like the jam band version. Of oh, yeah. Like, like of everything of that time, of Bowie, of Lou Reed, of, and um, I will say I did really like this song, Ready for Love. That was my favorite song. Ready for love. Okay, here we go. And then Bart comes in and goes, wait, this isn't Bad Company. So I guess Bad Company covered that song. And so Let's that look. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's a really good version of this song. I don't know who did it first. I think Motha Hoople did it I first. think this is a Motha Hoople song. Yeah, that's what uh, Bart said. He was pretty sure Bad Company came later. But Bad Company does a really good, more haunted, less jammy version of the song. But I like the Moth the Hoople version. So. Unfortunately, aside from Howard Stern loving all the young dudes, which is also an amazing song. It is an amazing song. Yeah, yeah that's probably it's... the best song on the album. I don't think they ever got their due personally because you know the 80s came around and kind of ruined them and then there's kind of a nostalgic band after a while and there's nobody to kind of pick them up and produce a good album for them they do sound nostalgic though like listening to it makes you feel like it's like a happy musicians are really good i don't know something about it i like well no you're right though but even listening to say ziggy stardust it's like you're listening to a love letter to rock and roll in this nostalgic kind of way 
So, yeah, I see that, too, with this album. But it's very short, actually. It's only 40-some-odd minutes. And then if you listen to it on Spotify, they have all these demo versions of the songs, too. And it's kind of just them jamming out the songs or playing it live or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, if you're into David Bowie and Iggy Pop and Lou Reed and all those other bands, you might want to check this band out, or this album specifically, too, to see what you think of it, because it kind of does fill this weird void that I didn't know I needed. I guess liking Ziggy Stardust so much and Hunky Dory and some albums from that time, this does feel it, like I have an extra one. Like, oh, wow, I have a new one. <laughs> like I have a new exactly. piece of music somehow from this time that because I didn't know about them. So that's exciting about it. But it's just longer and, yeah, just I like it. It yeah. was good. And then obviously they inspired other people like Bad Company to, to like cover their song. And so... Right. And David Bowie did play all the young dudes live a lot, too. One of these days, we're going to have to review the movie or the the live video. It was pretty much his last show as Ziggy Stardust. It's so good. And the, the band didn't even know that it was his last show. He just announced it there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Did they get mad? I'd be mad. Yeah, he dropped the like, band and everything. He fired them rude. all. He kept yeah, rude. Oh. That is messed up. <laughs> no, I agree. It's messed up. But David Bowie, he's very eccentric and crazy, and, and he's very dramatic and of his yeah, totally way. Yeah, for sure. And I guess he just didn't want to do the character of Ziggy Stardust anymore, and so he just wanted to let it all go. I think he let go of everybody except for the keyboards. And that was it. But yeah, we should watch that someday because it's it's such a uh, live performance by him. Probably his best one I've seen. So anyway, like I said, got to avoid the fill. This is it. Definitely listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> and if there's a couple of cover bands out there that do Motley Hoople, go out and support them. Or if Motley uh, Hoople comes around, come and see that's them. That's cute. Yeah, I mean, I heard the guy used to wear like wear these huge platforms and everything. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. And like, yeah, I can't. I I listened to this for a good three four months, I think, before I had to kind of let it go. <laughs> <laughs> you got your fill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got my fill. But it's always good to go back and listen to it and. I guess if you're not tainted by the original Lou Reed version, Sweet Jane will be nice. <laughs> well, you just have to like suspend how you think it should sound. Yeah. Mentality. Like just <laughs> It wasn't until a certain point was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> These devils. I know this song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Assholes. <laughs> no, I feel you. I feel you. All right. So you could find me on Facebook at Glitch Unicorn. Any of the other social medias at Glitch Unicorn. And Santos? I'm on Instagram as sister.santos. So you can request my friendship there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. See you next week.